Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Animals and People Clothes. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Diamond Dogs Social Club, where the dog pound comes together to talk about stuff and sometimes nothing changes. Join the Diamond Dogs Social Club at your nearest FC. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the film podcast where film nerds, filmmakers talk about film things and break it all down in ways that hopefully we get better at telling stories and appreciating films and uh, shed a little light on how all that goes down as well. Yeah, I don't really have a topic, a preamble topic, uh, because we're doing a bonus episode at the end of this one. I figured unless there's something uh, on your mind, then we could just jump straight into to the fun. No, I mean, I so today we're covering The Witch uh, from 2015. So if you haven't seen The Witch, pause this episode and go watch it because there will be spoilers all over the place. I mean, I guess the the one thing that I that I will say at the beginning now that we've already done the spoilers is and I think I and I texted you uh, about three quarters of the way through the film. I don't like doing films where where children are hurt. And and I didn't I don't think either of us realized because we've both seen this movie. I've seen it three times and I still. Yeah, it doesn't come to mind. And we just didn't. It I, For whatever reason, I think it's because we don't really see it happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's never um, like so, acted out on screen. Right. Right. So because we don't see it happen, we don't remember that it happened. But just so you know, some some things do happen. If you don't like that kind of stuff, then maybe we can just you can just listen to us talk about it. Rather than rather than going to see it or fast forward through these moments or whatever, but um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, we're covering the witch from 2015. So absolutely. And on that note, we'll be talking about a lot of things. Um, I'm sure at some point in the near future, we will discuss uh, killing children in movies and all that entails. <laughs> uh, we'll also talk about some of the cinematography, natural lighting setting up a new location uh, we'll also dive into some of the story and writing sitting on a moment caleb thomason uh and some of the other witchy aspects of the film and other such stuff and things and stuff and a quick synopsis of the film a family in the 1630s new england is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft black magic and possession written and directed by robert eggers uh, cinematography by jaron blaschke Starring Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason, Ralph Innocen as father, Kate Dickey as mother, uh, Harvey Scrimshaw as Caleb, and Ellie Granger as Mercy. Thomason, listen to me. The bargain I was made is of no effect. I made no bargain. Thy soul belongeth to Christ. I made no bargain. The devil hath no interest in thee. I am no witch, father. What did I but see in my house? Will you not hear me? Why have you turned against me? Christ, come on witches, if you will but speak truth to me. As I love thee, speak truth. You asked me to speak truth? I beg thee. You and mother plan to rid the farm of me. Aye, I heard you speak of it. Is that truth? You took a mother's couple of rail at me. You confessed not till it was too late. 
Is that true? Please leave. I will not. I am my father. You are a hypocrite! Hold thy tongue, daughter mine. You took Caleb to the wood and let me take the blame of that too. Is that truth? You let mother be as thy master. You cannot bring the crops to yield. You cannot hunt. Is that truth enough? Enough. Thou canst do nothing, save Cartwood! Thanks! You will not hear me! Must I hear the devil wag his tongue in thy mouth? Ask the twins, then. Go on, ask them. They spend all day long babbling to that horned beast. They know well his voice. Go to. The adversary off comes in the shape of a he-goat. And whispers, I whispers. He is Lucifer. You know it. The twins know it, Slander too. Slander thy brethren no more. It is they. So... Before I even get your thoughts on the film, I feel like my feeling is you need to like take a big brain dump on the most emotionally compelling aspect of this movie for you. And if not, that's fine too. But uh, I think I would just like to hear it and, and see where we go after that, which is killing kids on in a movie. Like it's obviously a very sensitive subject for you. And I'm assuming because you sent me a text that like, for me, I think it was like 1 or 2 a.m. And heard my phone go off, turned over, uh, went back to sleep. And then someone else hit me. And I just forgot to freaking silence my phone, which is my fault. And then I was like, well, I'll just see who was texting me. And I was like, oh, it was Todd. Oh, oh, it was Todd with the fire. <laughs> like, as you came, like fire and brimstone old testament uh oh. <laughs> it was like oh shit all right well i'm sorry man i don't know no. um, and so yeah you did not react really well and i had to really i could not remember anyone dying in this movie other than i mean obviously i knew some people died but i always think of uh the dad getting killed and um her becoming a witch and that's about the extent uh sometimes i'll remember caleb but for the most part i think of those two moments um the the goat and and the witch uh but yeah so i'm assuming it was the baby that really like messed you up if not like by all means correct me but yeah by all means take the floor sir <laughs> <laughs> well <clears throat> let me yeah let me uh um sorry because I'm two hours behind you, nah. so I when I any I was time watching of late. day, bro. Seriously, I, I I like getting texts in the middle of the night. Like that does not bother me whatsoever. Okay, cool. Me either. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know we we've talked. I think since pretty much since Hereditary about like how mm -hmm. you know I I mean since before <laughs> I I can't remember the oh. movie that triggered it, but whenever Hereditary came out, I was like. This one isn't for That's you. Right. Here's why. I gave you a big heads up. And the only reason you watched it was because a viewer requested it. And you were like, I know it's coming. Um, I think because I'm mentally prepared, I can handle a little bit better. And obviously, that's such a rough movie that it helped. I cannot imagine it didn't. But at the same time, it's just going to smack you in the face. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is a interesting. It's a, this is going to be an interesting conversation uh, because both of those movies, this one and that one, I love. I think they're fantastic. They're amazing. And they wouldn't be as good without it. Hmm. So it's an argument for it when necessary. So I get, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a whole lot, big brain dump other than I just don't like the, 
you know, it can be a great movie and I don't watch it. You know, that's, I guess what I have to say. I think that everybody has their triggers, right? Mm -hmm. My, my, my wife is, she has a, a trigger of like just anybody getting hurt, right? She doesn't like that at all. Mine is I'm, I'm okay with, with grown people. I just don't, I don't respond well to kids, obviously, because I have to, but I think in this scenario with this film, Hereditary went a little over the line, I think, more so than this. Uh, But this one, I think it was very necessary because everything after it hinges on that happening. I think the hardest thing for me was seeing like, you know, this the one scene of like 10 seconds, seeing the baby and then seeing the knife and it cutting away. And then, you know, the the witch, you know, bathing in it, basically. And I didn't remember that the baby never comes back. I thought at some point, oh, they find the baby, right? But no, it's Caleb that they find or that he, she sends back Caleb, not the baby. And so I don't know necessarily know that there would be a better way, you know, at all to show, to like make you understand that the baby is gone for good. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think there is a better way. I think that they did it perfectly well. I think that our... The reason I texted you that was just because I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to watch this stuff. It was not I don't like the movie or that this shouldn't have happened in the movie. Um, Mm. The movie itself was unbelievable. Every time I've seen I've seen it probably three times now. And every time I see it, actually, no, I've only seen it twice. I saw it that first time and then I saw it this time. But both times I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. And I love I love that they speak in that tongue. Um, and, and they stay there. That writing is just beautiful. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, did the language and the accents throw you off or do you adjust pretty quickly to it? You, yeah. You, I mean, I, I adjusted very quickly to it. And, you know, if it wasn't a horror film, I would want my wife to watch it because, I mean, she can speak and write Middle English and read it. And not that this is Middle English. This really is like a little later than that. Yeah. But, they call it Jacobian English, I think, or something like that. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 I was trying to point when, when was this? It was obviously, you know, pre-Civil War, but I didn't know exactly when, but yeah, 1630s. I mean, yeah, 1630s. Yeah. Which I didn't know either. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's, that's really it. You know, I think that everybody has their thing. Some people can't watch war films. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people can't watch scary films at all. Like my wife, some people just cannot at what, for whatever reason, watch rom-coms. Um, that would be me too. Uh, <laughs> what a great but, parallel to draw. Yeah. Yeah. Rom-coms and children dying. Yeah. It's pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so at the same time as I'm saying, I hate that I don't ever want to see it. Um, I think that it was necessary in a film like this, uh, to tell the story in the way that, that they did <laughs> the, also the acting like Kate Dickey is, I mean, every time I see her, I'm scared of her. I'm just scared yeah. of her as a human being, um, <laughs> much, much less in this setting of, you know, 1630s, early, early America, witchcraft yeah, she and, and all that stuff. carries this severe gravity to her, right? Like at any moment yes. she could command like your death or your life. Like you just don't know what's going to happen with her. And she just carries that with her. And I'm going to credit her performance for sure. Like. She's gripping. She is, yeah, terrible. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody really is. I mean, yeah. Ralph Ineson. Oh my, his voice. Yeah. The first, the first <laughs> words in the movie are his voice, and I'm thinking, oh my god, is this a narrator? This guy is 
insanely has an amazing uh, uh, accent or amazing voice. Uh, that being that being said, the writing is fantastic. The acting is amazing. The story is really beautiful. I love that that at the end, not at the beginning, but at the end, they tell you that this is based off of you know research and findings of actual you know not that this particular case happened, but things like this happen where fathers would would accuse their daughters of being witches and and either kill them or exile them or you know things things like that. Everyone thought that everybody was possessed if they were any any different in any way, basically, you know, which that goes into a whole nother conversation that I think we should, we can probably have later, but, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. Fantastic film. I was in it from the very beginning and never, I never came out of it. There was never a scene that I thought shouldn't be there or was Mm. too long. There was never delivery that I thought wasn't perfect and spot on. It was just, it was fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can, we can keep talking about it, but I thought that they, 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 led into a lot of stuff really well. Like they led into the kids basically, you know, they led, you know, they led the goat in, in a really interesting way, you know, the goat getting out and the kids playing with the goat and interacting with the goat a whole lot throughout the film. They led, um, uh, the father that, that whole scene that you, that you played was really great because we, you know, as a father, especially in those times, your whole purpose is to care for and, and, uh, protect your family. And this guy couldn't do any of that. He couldn't do, like she said, you can't handle the crops. You can't handle hunting. All you're good for is cutting wood. And the whole time he's been, I mean, you see these piles of just wood. He's like, this is the only thing he's good at. So this is what he does. Spends most of his time doing. And he just can't, you know, he can't accept that. Um, and she just throws it on him right then and he still can't accept it, but he knows that she's right. But they led into that really well throughout the film. And there's a lot of different things that they lead into really well. They don't just like introduce something, you know, if we hadn't seen him cut, cutting wood throughout the whole film, we wouldn't necessarily know that if we hadn't seen the piles, like then she could just set, have said, you do this and you do that. And it doesn't hold as much weight, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I thought that they, the, the writing was fantastic and the story led right into where we knew it was going to, or didn't know, but right in, into where it felt right for her to say those things. And then at the end for her to, to like, you know, submit essentially, um, after having to kill her mother, you know, like you're thinking, okay, what's going to happen? We stay with her really well. Like it all just leads really well. So, so well said. Yeah. I think, I mean, just to to add on to what you're saying, like I have my sensitive sensitivities as well. Like I have a pretty high tolerance for violence on screen. I have an extraordinarily small amount of uh, tolerance for actual real world violence. Um, Even when it comes to like medical procedures, I can't watch it. That's going to give me nightmares uh, for years, if not the rest of my life. Like I just cannot do it. But yet, yeah, you whatever blow someone's head off you know in a, in a zombie movie and i'm just like oh that was cool um and i just move right on with my life those things and that's been that way since i was a kid like i i've never been able to handle like medical stuff but i've bathed in you know the blood of i'm sure many uh innocent screen victims you know it just doesn't yeah. doesn't get to me at all and so for me, I do probably have uh, a little more tolerance than I or intolerance than I used to from the standpoint of, to your point, this story really does hinge on 
all of those moments. Like you can't remove any of these moments and still have it add up to the same motivations, the same results, the same amount of suspense and fear and antagonism uh, between the characters uh, without every single one of these things happening. Whereas, and so for me, that's kind of the litmus test is, is this happening, whatever it is on screen, is this happening just for the shock of it? Um, or is this happening, um, you know, because it's going to add up to something. Uh, and if it's just for the shock of it, it better be a really fun experience and a really fun movie. Then I'll go along with it. And even then you have to figure out ways to dial it back. If you go, uh, listen to last week's episode, like there's a really like over the top, silly, shocking thing. And they, they had to really ride the line on how to make sure it's entertainment without violating the viewer. Like that's a very delicate dance to, to do. And obviously in this case, uh, I felt like, yeah, this, this adds up. And to your point, it wasn't uh, gratuitous. Like they show you and then they just kind of show you the aftermath. They don't actually. And I think I was having a slight nightmare hitting play. Cause I was like, I can't remember how they killed the baby. Are they going to actually cut the baby up? And I was like really afraid because I didn't want to see that. Like that's definitely getting at my tolerance level. Uh, and so I was really glad that, yeah, they just cut away and we're just watching her, like you said, literally like bathe herself in it. Um, and it's still very gross and like uh, detestable, especially with the the chaotic noise and music and whatnot. But I love the point you made a minute ago, though, and it did not dawn on me until you said it like the fact that they waited until at the end of the movie to add this is all based on real events and real dialogue and real court and journals and etc like what a brilliant way to leave the audience because it's it's two two different approaches to the same idea like if we set it up beforehand maybe we can the idea would be we make people a little bit more terrified as they're watching it whereas if you do it at the end they walk away more terrified. Now you're leaving them with the horror that this is the kind of stuff that happened in, in mm-hmm. families and um, in communities back then. Um, and now you have to walk away from the theater with that knowledge and replaying everything in your head. Like that's a, that's a level of psychological uh, warfare that most movies don't care to do. They would rather get their, you know, their nickels worth while you're in the seat instead of saying, Nope, I'm going to send you home terrified like that's yeah. so much better. I love that touch, man. Really, really great point. Yeah. Cause if you think about it, like the, the craziest stuff happens at the end. So, you know, if you're, if you're telling them, if the first thing that you say is, is this kind of stuff really happened and then it takes 45 minutes for anything creepy to happen or 30 minutes for anything creepy to happen, that's 30 minutes of, of normal stuff happening. Mm. So you, it's diluted so much, but then at the end you see all this crazy stuff and you're like, wow, I'm so glad this isn't real. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. The, the yeah. final scene, she's like floating. I'm so glad this, this isn't real. This didn't happen. She didn't just kill her father and this goat isn't Satan and all this stuff. <laughs> and then, and then, Oh, this is actually based on true shit. Oh, Oh crap and lights you know (laughs) like see ya have a good trip home you know (laughs) like yeah it's it's actually really like you said really brilliant it's two this other side of the coin i guess i don't know but yeah freaking genius yeah i have more questions coming up for you and i'll i'll come back to those here in a minute because so some of the cinematography i just started googling um while watching it i watched it twice today once for me and then once to take notes and i just 
kept getting this itch, like, how did they like this thing or whatever? And so I'll touch on that here in like 10 seconds, but there's a decent amount of, there's a mix, right, of handheld and locked off shots and crane moves or dolly moves probably because they shot this way remote Canada. Like for tax breaks, they went out into this deserted like populace uh, population. It's called Kiosk, um, somewhere around Ontario, I think, uh, but really remote. And that meant probably carting all your gear up there because it's not like you're going to run to the the rental store, you know, um, on your lunch break. And so, yeah, all the stuff that they had was probably meant to be as minimalist as possible. Um, I don't know that they would bring a lot of cranes out there. If they do, it's probably like, we're going to schedule all our shots around this crane because this thing is massive and uh, we just can't afford to keep it out here for, you know, 10 weeks or however long the shoot was. But they also have a, a decent amount of handheld that they insert here and there, uh, especially when we're looking at like Black Phillip. The kids are chasing him around or if we're kind of chasing the kids around. I love some of those shots because it takes on this kind of human animal stalking vibe um, that you can insert into the film, the aesthetic. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun um, and it makes you just feel like you're being hunted, I guess. A lot of pushing moves, which creates a lot of sense of uh, inevitability, dread. And overall, the film is pretty desaturated, right? It's almost like they left it in raw. Like, hey, we're going to shoot it in log and, you know, just cut it that way. You know what? It still looks good. <laughs> like, let's go ahead yeah. and put it out. <laughs> uh, That's a good way to put it, actually. You know? <laughs> but it, obviously, they graded it because why wouldn't you? Uh, but you do that, right, to, to just create the sense of dreariness and uh the abandon you're you're out there's no life in the in the visuals and that just kind of adds to their desolation and um everything that they're struggling with right food like they're worried about starving they're about to ship their daughter off to some other farm uh, just because they can't hack it as you said he he is not a very uh equipped man to to provide for his family which adds to his list of sins um, which we will definitely come back to if I can remember, cause I didn't actually write notes, but there's stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Soft lighting. So incredibly soft. Like despite where you spend so much time outdoors, they keep it so, so soft. And apparently they shot and this is going to put me down a real rabbit hole, but with natural light, right? Basically we're going to shoot with just the available light outside and in inside in the indoors. Uh, the only lighting we'll use is candles which they found like these triple wick candles that obviously three wicks, three times the light uh, allowed them to, you know, get a lot more light to, to light the sets on those interior uh, night scenes. But I just don't buy it. I mean, I don't think they didn't have lights on set. Not to say that they didn't shoot 95% of this without any added lighting, but I'm just watching some of these exterior night sequences and I'm like, how would you light this without exterior lighting like that just does not make the moon is not that bright especially if you're shooting with an re alexa i can't imagine uh in 2015 that the re shot higher than like an 800 iso i mean maybe a 1600 if you want to push it but with you know these lenses i i don't see how it was possible uh because at certain scenes i think she thomason walks outside and she's got holding these candles um and that's clearly lighting her face which is fair uh but then she has this massive rim lighting that's lighting the background lighting the house this is not a day for night shot as far as i can tell and 
because I'm just looking at some of the, the, the shadows and I'm like, there's zero lighting in there. And the, the, fa- the fall off, the roll off was just way too strong. I don't know. I can't imagine that they were shoot able to shoot everything without external lighting or some, uh, some added lighting for the exterior. Definitely not. There you were know? some spotlight stuff that I, I was like, no, they absolutely used lighting for that. They had to break out of like a couple HMIs, if only for like three or four scenes, because he's chopping wood and pure moonlight and like, he is just heavily backlit and yeah, I don't know. I, so that's my asterisk that said, this movie is very much the way I would want to shoot. Uh, and it's comforting me after I started looking, you know, up like, did they? Cause I was feeling like, man, this feels like it's all like natural lighting. I love shooting that way. And it was really comfortable to say that they had like a $4 million budget and still chose like, because of where we're shooting on location and all these other reasons, um, the time period it just makes sense to shoot with, uh, the, you know, the sun and mm-hmm. it looks gorgeous. And, for that, I mean, you use a lot of diffusion, right? You'll where you can break out large silks. Now, I don't know if they were able to break out like these hundred, two hundred foot silks, but um, to to you know ease some of the roll off. But maybe it's just really overcast. I don't know. It's about picking your time of day and picking your location. With that, right? There's a lot of negative fill where uh, if you want to create dimension, you need some shadow. Shadows aren't bad. And the way you create shadow kind of helps determine how much depth you're creating on your subjects. And so if the shadow is more towards the camera and the light is on the other side of the actor. So if you imagine like an actor, you know, looking across camera, the right side is a little bit brighter than the side near to the camera. Um, Well, to do that, right, you can either a create negative fill, which would be like a big black canvas that you set up behind the camera in order to cut down light. That's bouncing back onto their face. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it would just be to pick your location. Like if you want to do that, maybe shoot right next to the forest so that the camera is shooting out from the forest and that's creating your negative fill. It's cutting down all the balance. And so there's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, And I assume they played with all those things. Um, Some of them, once you get too wide, there's a limit like there's a shot early on that we watch the carted the cart kind of walk the off carriage the carriage thank yeah. you <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i died of dysentery sorry um <laughs> so the organ trail like exits into the the distance that we get way too wide there's no way you know they're able to to do any negative fill and so you're just letting the the scene be what it is uh, and it still looks beautiful and yeah so I imagine they're working with all of that. And anytime they're shooting indoors, you'll notice that we're always shooting into the light, right? We're always going to be shooting into a window, into a doorway. Um, And that lets the light be the primary way to shape the scene and create that depth, create the dimension, um, and also create all this soft fall off. If you ever want a beautiful picture, you don't have any lighting, well, sit next to a window when the sun is not shining directly into it and you'll just get this nice, beautiful softbox uh, effect that's going to create. And so that's what they're doing throughout this entire movie is uh, every interior shot that's in the day. Let's shoot into the window and try it as much as possible mm-hmm. to, to capture that. It's not to say that they don't ever shoot from the window's perspective, but, you know, it's always going to be a little bit easier if you're shooting into the light. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it's minimalistic. the shot, uh, particularly the shot when Caleb is sick or um uh you know up in the attic area whatever they shoot towards when you're we're seeing Caleb and and mo- mother and then away when we're seeing father when he's talking about we're going to go into town tomorrow and whatever but they're using that light 
from the window as the fill, you know, for him. And they're using it almost as a backlight. But yeah, I, a, I guarantee they probably use a bounce or something to, you know, bounce that light back onto Mother, you know, because she'd be pretty dark. Yeah, for her close-ups. Yeah, and so you call that a reverse key whenever you have the mm-hmm. light coming from the opposite side of the camera, shooting into the camera. That's called a reverse key. Um, and then when you go into some of these close-ups, all you, like you just said, all you got to do is bring in like a, a little bounce to fill in the shadows on someone's face. But then whenever you're really wide, you can do one of two things, just depending on the day and depending on the look. You can either, one, drape the entire wall behind you, behind the camera, in black. And now that's going to cut all the bounce down. And you create a really dramatic, heavily silhouetted look. Or you can probably just bring in a bunch of white fill. like, And now you have a ton of bounce, so you can see all the actors. And, and because of the nature of light, because you're bouncing it, the, the light source, because you're reflecting it right back into uh, itself, it you can't overpower the original light source. It's going to die down. Um, and so you're not going to create new shadows um, because that's just not the way light works. It dies the yeah. further it goes in our atmosphere. Yeah. Cool. So, that's awesome. Yeah. I, it, it gives me hope when, I'm, when I start yeah. thinking about I want to shoot the way I want to shoot. Uh, it can be done. It takes like some some planning and you know, some taste, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, very doable. And, and, you know, not just understanding of light and how it reacts, but understanding of how it rea- reacts to your camera. Mm. Right. Because, you know, if you're shooting on an Ari, it's going to be different in primes. It's going to be different than shooting on a C100, right. It's going to be different than shooting on a red, but maybe, maybe an Ari and a red are probably cause they're both very expensive cameras is probably a little similar, but, you know, if you're going to shoot with an iPhone, you know, which you totally can, maybe the amount of light you need is going to be different than the amount of light you would need if you're shooting with an RE or something like that, right? Totally. Like the ability for some of these high-end cameras to reduce noise and grain, um, even, though, even though they're shooting, let's say, my camera, my C100 Mark II shooting at an 850 ISO versus the Ari Alexa shooting at an 850 or even 800 ISO. Like the, geez, the sensor uh, is just so much better. And the way it processes the image is so much better along with what it outputs its own codec is so much better. And that's why those are much more expensive cameras. I could take the same lenses I shoot on um, and just have a much better image come out of the Ari Alexa uh, just because for one, the data is capturing so much more data. Those files are so much bigger so that whenever you dump them into your colorist, like he can do a lot with that, um, with all that data that's in there. Uh, whereas the when you start pushing around the colors and the exposure uh, from my C100 Mark II, you don't get nearly as much latitude, the ability to, to pull and push the image around and to pull certain colors and push certain colors. Uh, just because my camera, I think brand new costs like six grand uh, and there's brand new is like, I don't know, 30 or 40 at least. And early days was even like 60, 70, I think on the higher end, maybe even 90. Uh, but regardless, like there's a reason those cost more. Um, and yeah. it doesn't necessarily by default put out the best image. Uh, like it wouldn't make sense for me to go and buy one of those because my clients don't want or need that much post-processing. If you're not going to spend the time 
end post coloring and grading and really maximizing that, it does not make sense to go and buy that kind of camera. But if you have a, a you know, a colorist you're going to throw 20 grand at, yeah, go do that, man. Um, and that'll change the way you shoot and the way you process all that footage. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're shooting a film like this, right? With like low contrast, but yeah. um, natural lighting. That's got to be really difficult for a camera. Uh, yeah. Cause you know, I think about, I've thought about lighting for a while for movies. Right. And you think, you think, Oh, we just throw a light up, but it's different. It's, it's so, spe- it's so specific. It's not like, it, it's not like you standing there and seeing it with your eyes, the amount of light that your eyes need is so much less than what a sensor from a camera is going to need. And so, or in, 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 in a lot of ways, Right. And so when you're lighting a, you know, a, a dark, you know, something that's that's low contrast, but like natural light, you have to do it in a very specific way for the camera because the camera isn't an, a, a human eye. And so I have to remind myself that a lot, like on set of, of oh, this is going to take this much time to do this. And it's necessary because the camera needs it, not necessarily because a person, you know, your eyes would need it. It it might actually not look good to you on set, right? Mm-hmm. It might to you, like if you're just standing there not looking at the monitor, it might actually not look very good. And I think we learned that a lot. If you, if you, anybody listening, if you go back and you listen to the, um, the, uh, the Blade Runner episode, there's a lot of this kind of thing in there where it's like, you know, we'd look at it and we'd be like, we, it, you know, we would take it, we would take the thing out of the tent and it was like, like what this didn't, this looks like crap, but in there it looks really good. And it's all about whatever you have to do for the camera and not necessarily for your eye. And I always have to re- remember that when, when I'm on set and it's taking forever to do, to get the lighting right and stuff like that. So absolutely no. And I would just add on to that. Like it is possible to get from my camera to capture the same level of quality as what you're seeing in the witch. Uh, the problem isn't the camera. The problem is my ability to create that image within my camera without all the added processes. Cause if I know this is what I'm trying to create now, the challenge is on to me to go and shape the light in the exact way that I want to end up with. And so the, I guess my point being the worse your camera is at processing later, the better you need to be at doing it in camera. Like if you can, yeah. if you can shape the light and, sh- and stage everything uh, exactly the way you want in camera, there's no reason you can't have, you know, a, a $4 million budget looking film on whatever your, your crummy, you know, C, what do you, the Mark five, Mark, Mark yeah. five. Yeah. yeah. Mark D. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Roger Deakins can make an iPhone look like an Ari probably. That's right. Right? Yeah. right. It's the same. I, I heard one time that, that. Uh, I used to be a heavy golfer and Lee Trevino was one of the greatest golfers of all time. I heard that he one time made a bet with a guy. He could beat him with a putter. He could play an entire round and beat him with a putter. And he did. So yeah, you know, if you're that good, you can beat somebody with a putter. You don't need all your clubs. Well, you know, if you're Roger Deakins, you can make an iPhone look like an Ari, right? That's right. Right. I love that. Uh, Cinematography wise. um, I just, it popped out at me that, we started in this little community and quickly transitioned into this new location. And I was just really interested in how they set up this new location in a very quick, seamless uh, way without wasting a lot of time. And they start with 
obviously they get excommunicated uh and we just watch the town fade away right they we we sit and just watch as we're pulled through the town these old buildings and and we're being cast out which is confirmed when the they lock the gate right it's this huge massive gate swing shut and you can see them locking it as it as it closes um and so we have this one shot two shot we watch them leave town and they slowly ride into the distance and we just kind of sit on that moment and then we cut to a campfire we're watching them just kind of make do clearly not where they're headed uh, and then a big massive landscape countryside shot nobody's in it it's just the country and then suddenly the father's kissing the ground and their family is worshiping god at, at a new location and then we cut to house and there's shed outside and there's huge woods and there's a harvest right and uh, just suddenly in these very quick sequence we set them in a new location and pass time like a huge amount of time enough for them to build all the stuff and to raise a harvest um that's that's pretty impressive uh that guy i mean he could do something i guess uh even if yeah uh, it's gonna get him killed in the end <laughs> like, <laughs> he can chop wood he can chop wood um get that timber and so moving into story and writing i appreciate especially watching you know this past couple times they have a a few very classic horror elements um that is just so like almost tropey and cliche uh but they insert it in ways that just really really work uh i mean the silliest one and forgive me for this one but it's just the use of the word boo like they literally have someone saying boo and the way they use it, though, is to entertain a baby, right? That's the scene where Thomason is you know, like just, you know, closing her eyes, covering her face um, and saying, boo. Uh, and that's where the baby vanishes, of course. Uh, but I love that. She's literally saying boo, which is as more much, as classic as it gets in um, Halloween times. Right. And I also love that shot after the baby vanishes. We it's an empty blanket and we tilt up. And we see like the weeds moving and the brushes wiggling in the back. And you just get this feeling that something just swept by everything. Um, and it was too fast for the eye to catch. Uh, and it's just freaking perfect. I love the creepy old women. Right. It's uh, this is very classic horror, like witches on brooms. Right. And that's effectively what they do instead of like a pure broom, though, they use more of like a stick um, with some leaves on it. And it's just freaking cool. Uh, and of course, towards the end of the film, you have the old woman in the in the manger, right, snacking on the white goat and she turns and starts cackling. Um, that's like just perfect <laughs> like it's so yeah. so out of nowhere and uh it fits um and it's just as creepy of course this is not a classic horror uh trope but when we cut to the indoor and we see the crow picking at the mom's breast that's really disturbing <laughs> like it's so good <laughs> it's so gross oh my gosh yeah uh, so creepy so, good. so delighted at it um yeah another really classic horror element um is all the ghost noises they built the soundtrack uh off of all these really classic and it's it freaking works man um and this gets into uh another question i wanted to, to throw at you in terms of you know what you thought about the audio and the sound like i i briefly looked into the uh some of the music and they used a uh a nickel harpa which is 
like a, a Swedish bowed viola from the Middle Ages and apparently use like this really huge, massive bow to play it or, or something. I've never heard of a nickel harpa, <laughs> if I'm even pronouncing that right. Um, yeah. And they also use like for the they they didn't weren't happy with that, uh, with just that. They also wanted like women like uh, and so they found this all woman choir called the Element Choir and they specialize in improv uh, improvising. And apparently he would just give them cues like, hey, I want you to uh, be kind of quiet for the first 30 seconds. And that about 35, I want you just screeching like banshees, like really go crazy uh, for five seconds and then go silent. Um, and he would just say, let them take it away. And uh, they're wow. very experienced. And so I don't know. What did, what did you think overall? Did you have any feelings or thoughts about like the, the music? I mean, that's the- exactly what I thought happened. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, they just got a bunch of women to just like sing and then scream. That's exactly what I thought. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was beautiful and perfect. A lot of times in movies like this, you'll hear some kind of weird if not weird, just played interestingly, played in a different way, a bowed instrument. And I, I think that a lot of the reason for that is because a bowed instrument can be played beautifully or it can be played really, really dynamically or really aggressively. So you can physically with your hands create uh, something that's angry huh. very easily um, right next to something that's beautiful. You know, you just dig in a little bit more or you bow a little bit faster or, you know, you hit another string along with the string that you're hitting. So maybe you hit two or three strings if you press hard enough. So you can really or you can hit it. Right. So things like violas and and cellos and violins are some. There's a reason why why a violin is like a lead instrument in a symphony. It can literally do anything. So, so you, when in films like this or in films like, um, like hereditary, and I'm just comparing it to it because, because you'll hear a lot of, I mean, hell, even look at Halloween. There's a lot, there's a lot of bowed sounds that happen that are like lead, lead pieces and that you can't really replace with like a horn because a horn, obviously a horn can be, different horns can be played in different dynamic ways and in different styles, of course, but there's an element of humanity in a horn. You know, you have to breathe through it. It's just, it's, it's like a totally different style of, of instrument in that regard, but a, a bowed instrument, you can kind of remove the humanity from it in a way, but still keep it in the playing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like anybody, you could have a machine play, you know, play it or I don't know, but uh-huh. I, I, t- I, I love that they stuck with, with that kind of stuff. And, and, um, I thought the the foley was fantastic. I I felt like the music was removed in perfect moments. Yeah. Right. There was very quiet in a lot of places, and I felt it. You know, I felt it without noticing it. Yeah. It's just placed very perfectly. When do we need music? Okay. Then we're gonna put a piece in here. We don't need it here. It's actually better to be quiet here. So we're gonna pull it out completely. Or we're just going to hear the women a little bit right here and that's it, you know, or, or whatever. It was just very, because the women also don't sound, they sound like people, but they don't sound like a normal woman's choir. You know, they sound Mm -hmm. like a separated individuals trying to, trying to conjure something, whatever that might be. I don't, that's how, that's what I felt. 
you know, that's cool. It, trying to find, trying to, they're trying for something, right? You know, I think a choir, if you think of a choir, you think of a group of people who are so together that they can't help but sing the same piece. They've already found it, but it feels like they were, they were searching to try to make something, you know, they're searching for this thing like, like that they, that, you know, and at some points they would find it and come together and then it'd fall apart again. It's just so eerie and all over the place. I just absolutely adored it. So strong. That's yeah. freaking cool. That's such an interesting point. Cause I, I see exactly what you mean. I played trumpet in high school, but you're right. It's, it's such a different using your strength to overwhelm the instrument in ways uh, that can be so just quick and there's no transition, right? It's just, it's just, you know, organic, the way that you can go from playing something sweet into crushing it into uh, multiple strings. Like that transition is so much more seamless than you'd probably get out of like a, a horned instrument. And I love that point you made about the humanity that goes into wind instruments as opposed to like bowed ones, stringed instruments. Freaking cool, man. Great note. Also loved the <laughs> the whisper at the end, the devil's whisper, because it just sounded huge and engulfing, but quiet. It was like this very quiet, controlled power, and the enunciation was absolutely perfect. There wasn't a wasted articulation whatsoever. He said exactly, precisely what he wants to say, and you just get this feeling of like he speaks in contract, right? It's just yes. <laughs> beautiful um, i shall guide thy hand it's just oh god and so I, good and that quick cut after he says that is yeah oh, 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 oh. oh you do you don't you don't expect it you don't know wait what just happened you you just have to you have to collect yourself for a minute and think oh shit she just signed something oh damn okay all right here we go wow freaking cool just a couple more notes here this to me i would classify this as more somewhat of a gothic horror like there's usually a, a slight there often is a slightly romantic aspect to gothic horror even if there's no actual romance in the film um there is this kind of beauty to it this obviously is not that but for me it has all the other necessary elements that brings me into this kind of gothic horror uh, aspect which is there's usually some kind of supernatural element and omens Often there's some kind of uh, maiden, uh, the the virgin maiden kind of uh, woman, uh, and very often you're isolated, right? There's you're usually around some creepy old mansion or estate. In this case, it's you know a, a creepy old house, and at the heart of it, uh, I think the most important aspect, um, aside from those other things, is the the drama. The it's all family politics. It's all family drama, um, and that's the entirety of this movie um, is all about the, the the politics of the family. And with that, like Caleb, let's talk about Caleb for a second. Um, he is such an interesting character for the short time he's on screen. Uh, he does a great job. Like you said earlier, man, everyone crushes it. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. And he amuses me so much though, because he just, he likes looking at Thomason's boobs and that's just hilarious yeah. to me, but I think it's important. It's not there, you know, just to be lewd or to say, Oh, he's a boy, but it's to indicate two things. One, she's growing up. Um, but also he's growing up except he's growing up with no prospects now that he's without community, 
right? He has, he's getting all these hormones. He's becoming an, uh, a young man and he has no outlet for that. And the only person in his age group is his sister. And what else is he going to do? This is, this is how bad things start um, <laughs> in the country. And, and it's the 1630s. So I'm sure that mm. that probably happened a lot more than it does now. That's I believe that um, I completely agree with that. And he, of course, you know, that I think we get two kind of cleavage shots. One when he's waking up in the morning and then he wakes her up out of a nightmare, which sent me mentally down this weird uh, tangential rabbit hole of, is it good to wake people up out of nightmares or is it bad? Um, and I, I think we would all agree. Good. Um, I, you know, it's, it's good to pull someone out, but I just found that interesting because you're saving someone from themselves. Like, a nightmare to some degree or another is you either preparing yourself if you want to look at it, you know, mechanistically as a, as a profitable thing that we do as humans or, you know, just terrorizing yourself um, for whatever reason. And I just find it really interesting that if you wake someone up out of a nightmare, uh, you're saving them from themselves. Uh, yeah. I have nowhere else to go with that. <laughs> I just was, awesome. Uh, no. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then later by the river, right. Uh, he just has this kind of Bill and Ted moment where he's just staring down her blouse. <laughs> it's so, not even responding to her. Even, uh. Uh, she's like, yo, and he's like, Whoa, Hey, well, what's that over there? Bug. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I think those, those moments do pay off later because later he stumbles across the witch of the woods and is seduced by her and he's terrified, but also seduced. Um, he knows, but he doesn't know. Um, and I love that little sequence. It calls back to, uh, wow, this is a real woman. Like if I was impressed with my sister, like this one is really impressive, right? She's gorgeous. Um, and I love this whole sequence because there's no dialogue. We just watched him get pulled in and the music is all the direction, all the dialogue that we need is this inevitable downfall that he's, he's being pulled into. Uh, and it's just a gorgeous sequence and painful to watch at the same time. I, yeah, I love it. It's creepy. And then the, the creepy hand is perfect. <laughs> oh. And then we have his death sequence uh, where he's up in the attic um, or AKA their bedroom. And, it's it's chaos, but it's organized chaos. Like all these beats happen in their proper time. It's not just stuff happening all at once. It's very lined and organized. They allow these moments to unfold, right? He he can't open his mouth and they, they pry it open and he spits out this rotten apple, which at first coming out of his mouth, it looks like an eyeball. And then it hits the floor and it turns into this apple. Um, that's a really great little head game that you play with the audience because you're like, Oh no, he's spitting on an eye. And then you look at it. No, it's an apple. And you feel like, did I see that wrong? Did I misremember something? Um, I don't know. Honestly. I mean, I just watched it twice and I still don't know. I didn't pause it. I didn't want to cheat. Um, I just wanted to kind of let the experience roll through. And I was like, I still don't know what I saw. <laughs> um, yeah. It, something shiny, I guess, you know, yeah. that might've looked like the white of an eye, but yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing that it was an eye. And then boom, rotten apple. Yeah. And then after that, uh, immediately, right? The twins accuse Thomason of being a witch. And I love this little moment with Jonas and Mercy. Everyone starts praying um, because Thomason is now 
getting the the third degree from her dad and she's having to confess her her love for god and all that stuff um and then they start praying and jonas and mercy he starts saying, I cannot remember my prayer, nor I. And you're just like, oh, you little shits. Like, I hate you so much. I know. It's, oh. it's so freaking good. They're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> they are the worst. And then Caleb freaks out, right? And he seems to, to recover, right? He's fine. And he's rejoicing. And take me to thy lap. Uh, and he dies. And it's just weird beautiful sequence with him because it feels uh so strange and um but because of the the dialect and the time period and uh their fervent belief in god uh and the way they confess everything like it plays so well it's it's this weird little thing that's happening for me uh as i'm watching that sequence but i love that entirety uh that entire sequence is fantastic because it's all performance based like there's no cg wizardry like it's it's really just people reacting to people and the camera moving in and accentuating certain moments like it's all performance based and it's all absolutely riveting <laughs> freaking a man. absolutely it's amazing i mean and uh their responses to him too not just him but but everyone's reactions to him the father mother oh my gosh she i mean the way that the way that she's destroyed the entire film is so perfect I mean, her character development to just, you know, to be degrade, to degrade so perfectly in like this linear fashion throughout the whole film until the very end where she's like attacking uh, Thomason is just, it's, it's just amazing. It's just a, cl- a clinic in acting. I, I think she's probably one of my, one of my favorite scary film actresses, <laughs> yeah. really, like. I, I don't know. I can't tell you anybody else that I think is like scarier than she is just being <laughs> on camera. And then to be that good of an actress, is just fantastic to, cause acting is reacting. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reaction to, to the child going missing, starting it, but she's not completely off the rails by mm-hmm. it. Right. But then losing another one and then just like, you know, losing, basically losing a daughter because she thinks that she's a witch, like just her responses are just subtly beautiful in in every in all of her reactions to everything that happens you know even even to learning learning about that she's been lied to about her her cup you know uh yeah. her reaction to father about that just just beautiful so so well done kills it and yeah that brings me to one of the last things which is men in this film are killed males are killed women are recruited it's really interesting i think um that's not without you know intention uh the the baby is a little boy right so it's a male baby and it gets killed caleb is killed um father is killed by black philip himself right uh and he he utters this line as as he's about to die corruption thou art my father and it calls back to a lot of things one of which is what he tells Caleb, which is, we will conquer this wilderness. It will not consume us. And I think ultimately that kind of points back to his pride, the pride that got him ejected from the community in the first place. They they talk about in that opening scene, um, he does, we travailed a vast ocean for what was not for the pure and faithful dispensation of the gospels and the kingdom of God. Um, and they're like, Hey, you don't judge us. We judge you. And he's, I cannot be judged by false Christians. And they ask him, must you dishonor laws of the Commonwealth and the church 
with your prideful conceit. And I forget what he says after that. It's something like, um, it, if that's the way it's got to be, then yeah, I'm happy to. <laughs> like, it was his, yeah. ultimately, it was his sin of pride that led to their downfall, their demise. It's all because of his pride. Um, and that's ultimately also what uh, she's telling to him. Like, he never once owned up to his mistakes until it was too late, until it was way after the fact. Um, he could never humble himself uh, enough to say, hey, here's what's happening. I sold your cup because of X, Y, Z. I left the community and everyone's miserable because of it. The father got everybody killed. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Black Philip himself is who kills father, which is this, you know, Satan, the devil kills dad. And it's one patriarch killing another patriarch. And ultimately, I think that's why women are recruited. Black Philip does not have any desire for competition in his in his house. He only wants women for I don't know, whatever reason, uh, symbolically, probably. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you can lay all of this down at at the father's hand for sure. And then after he dies, mom fights Thomason, right? And she gets killed. She accuses Thomason of uh, bewitching her brother, right? She calls her a whore. Um, and it gets back into this uh, puritanical uh, arguments and all those elements uh, that are just steeped in this movie. And I love how we sit on moments before proceeding. And this happens throughout the film, but even especially in, in this fight sequence, um, which is just like heartrending um, because you have mom who's beating on Thomason, right? And music ramps up and she's forced to make a decision. She grabs a knife and cuts her mom. And then we just sit on this mom pulls back into the camera. She's bleeding. She starts bleeding on Thomason and we're, she slowly reacts, realizing what's happens, uh, what just happened and attacks Thomason with the intent to clearly kill her, which as you said earlier, leaves no choice for Thomason, but to kill her mom. And she grabs the knife again and just goes to town. Um, but we sit on that moment too, as it's all happening. We're watching the Thompson just react to what her life is slowly fading away before she does it, retaliates. Then after she kills her, we cut to this wide shot of the house and mom is laying dead on top of Thomason. And we just sit there for ages. No movement, no camera movement, no she breathes. That's the only movement we can see. And it's so faint, so small. Uh, you might even wonder if she's still alive, but we know she is until she finally dumps her mom's body to the side and, and stands up. And I love that because letting these moments sit and digest incredibly slowly helps keep them from becoming cartoony. And it just adds a lot of weight and weight adds horror. Like that adds this dimension of reality and grounded um, and it's all about just letting your your actors in the moment just sit and breathe literally sometimes that's that's all that's happening when she's sitting on top of her we're literally letting the moment sit and breathe um, and it's just it's it's great directing it's why Robert Eggert was able to write this kind of movie is because he's the kind of person that could execute this kind of movie um, because of that patience um, and some directors really just do not have that kind of patience. Uh, and that's their, part of their style. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? Michael Bay is going to thrill you most of the time. Um, and that's part of his style. Um, he's not about the patience. He's about like, let's create 
interesting moments and visual moments and bang, 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 and keep you excited. And this is about letting the horror sit on top of you and not let you escape it. You don't get to escape this moment of horror. Um, and that, mm-hmm. and that's, that's his approach for sure. That's amazing. And then, and then even after that, staying with her, like some of, some of my favorite moments in cinema are not the, not the moments of the action. They're the moments after the action mm. of, of like, how did, okay, what happens then? Because so many times in a in a movie or a book or something like that, you know, you see the action happen and then you see, you know, the reaction of of something else happening later on or or, or to someone else somewhere else. Uh, but staying with the person after the action, you know, that's life. That's real life. Right. OK, she, she just killed her mom. Now what does she do? Oh, she goes inside, takes off her, her dress and then falls asleep. Okay, that's a thing. That's a thing that you can do. I mean, yeah. And for anybody who hasn't seen the Hereditary episode, go watch Hereditary. Like, you know, there's so many great moments that blow my mind that are not full of action. They're full of reaction to an action. It's so Mm -hmm. good. So good. Great, great point. Good points. Last little tidbits. Once again, for the umpteen time, the performances are terrific. I don't have much to add here. Anya Taylor-Joy is a force just watching her. This The first time I was like, oh, she's the next big thing. Like she's just owning every moment she's on screen. She is absolutely, you know, entrancing. Um, and I love that final moment of uh, joy as she floats into the air. And it's such a weird thing to find comfort in the arms of the devil whenever she was spending her whole time feeling low in front of God. Like it's crazy. She felt light. She felt free and she felt joy overwhelming her as she, you know, was embraced and, you know, with, with her tribe of women, you know, dude. Uh, So such a great point. Wow. And it's just a beautiful idea. And I know that's supposed to be the most terrorizing aspect of the film is that she joins Satan. But the crazy part is just how much more or how how demonic and and evil was and oppressive was her own dad was, you know, the the church um, for her in her life um, as compared to what she was going into. Not to say that they don't have blood on their hands. They literally killed a baby um, and, and, and bathed in, in its blood. But that just little moment of, of I don't know, freedom uh, was just awesome. And watching her react to that and just kind of imbibe almost, right, uh, was mm-hmm. beautiful. And it was just just uninhibited, carefree. You could feel the the wildness um, and and the, the 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 freedom just kind of flooding over her, and it was just perfect. Last last little tidbit here, which is just so random. Black Phillip, I loved. So I got to see and and meet one of the the main producers behind this uh, uh, film, um, Jay Van Hoy. A long time ago, like four or five years ago, he did a workshop. Sundance Labs came through town. They held a bunch of panels. Um, He was on one of the panels and um, he talks about making this movie and um, how arduous some of it was and difficult and fun um, and the attention to detail that Robert Eggert brought. And I mean, they built the sets from nothing. And if I remember correctly, Jay was even saying, Mr. Van Hoy uh, was even saying that he, they built uh, the set out of the tools they would have had access to at the time that 
uh, that this was set in. So like, okay, we're going to, we're not just going to construct everything to look like it. We're going to build it with the authenticity uh, that it would have been built in. Like that's, and that, wow, that's born out of Eggers has a background in production uh, set design. Like this is the kind of stuff that he did. He built sets for theater. Um, and I guess he got frustrated with no one's ever going to come see this. And so eventually he moved into film um, and he was an actor. So he has a great appreciation for performance, which is why he cast a bunch of nobodies. Like if you hadn't seen Game of Thrones and really paid attention to background characters, you wouldn't probably recognize anybody in this film. Um, like the, the father played one of the marauders next to, I don't know, uh, an ironborn guy. And the mother ruled on in one section of the film uh, of that series. Like now they're, they're, more or less background characters. Uh, they had good parts. Don't get me wrong. You could see that they were terrific actors on set, but it wasn't like they were, you know, carrying the, the, the torch of all the hope of Thorndale or whatever that Westeros was called. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> That's all <laughs> we're saying to me. <laughs> um, uh, but because I think he has such a, a background in acting, he was able to see, these are terrific actors. They'll get the casting that I, I think that's the thing that I've noticed as an actor, whenever I cast, I cast so differently from casting directors even. Um, and from other directors who don't have a background in acting, like I look for different things. Um, and it's much more emotional. I am emotionally trying to dial into the performances and see, can they, are they carrying anything behind it? Anyway, one of the things Jay also mentioned, uh, was black Phillip, the goat, was a massive pain in the ass to work with. Uh, and I pulled up some articles just out of curiosity. I was like, uh, what else is everybody else saying? And apparently uh, the father got rammed by the goat. They were constantly fighting throughout the the, the sets, um, not just the, the grand sequence, but he rammed them in the ribs and dislodged a tendon. <laughs> and wow. For like he said, the final five weeks, he was on painkillers for the shoot. Yeah, just brutal and often he just would not cooperate when they needed them to be like active he would just lay about when they needed him to just sit and chill uh he'd be running around fighting people uh and so they actually abandoned a few scenes uh, that they had written to to shoot with him apparently but i will say he nailed that scene where he rears up right after attacking the father um he yeah. does this little rear up he freaking nails it um and yeah. he did that a few times for him and it was just funny reading how the the dp and the director viewed working with the goat versus the the trainer who they hired uh the goat through and they were like no he did a great job he was the star of the show like uh to her like black philip performed exactly as needed uh and to them they were like man this guy's he just freaking pain in the ass <laughs> So, so the scene where the father was cursing him after he gets stabbed, that's probably a pretty easy scene for him to do. Yeah, that came right? natural. Yeah. They had you know, too many takes. And it's interesting. It's interesting. You say that they abandoned a few scenes. I could, now that you say that I could probably notice that not know what scenes that they removed, but notice like they didn't have a lot of black Philip in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they had just enough, right? Just enough. But, but it might've turned out to be good because you don't really think of, I mean, yeah, a black goat is, I know, a symbol, right, of of the devil, but you don't really think of, of okay, he's going to be in, he's going to inhabit this goat, right? I mean, I, I see it 
and we we have a, a few scenes of him with it within and we you talk about it a few times about him possibly being satan but mm-hmm. it's not like jammed down your throat uh, too much right so that was probably a good thing that they ended up cutting out a couple of scenes because you know you don't really think about it too much about you know so when when it turns out to be the devil you're like oh shit like when he got rammed by the goat scared the crap out of me that was the most startling moment startling meaning making me jump yeah of of the whole film really yeah agree anyway that's a really good point i think you're right if if they had added probably those extra whatever let's call it two more scenes with black philip doing xyz yeah you might you might start to feel maybe there is more to black philip because you only see him a few times and really there's one close-up in particular where they're they're all locked in together right and the twins are questioning Thomason and she's questioning them, trying to get a feel for each other. You can feel the wall between them. Um, and she's like, does, does Black Phillip really whisper to you? And then we cut to this close-up of Black Phillip and he just kind of stares at her for a second, then shifts his head to kind of get a better look at her. And it's epic. I'm just like, oh it's my so good. God, he it's might a great be moment. sentient. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm afraid. Um, uh, nice. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much all I got. Any yeah, any final thoughts, quandaries? Um, no, great film, great film. Really well written, really well acted, uh, perfectly directed, and the cinematography is amazing. Lighting's fantastic. I mean, whatever you want from a movie, this is definitely that, and 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 then some for sure. Just be wary of the um, of you know child violence, but other than that, I mean. It was necessary, you know, uh, again, I'll just, you know, bookend this by saying it was, this was necessary, uh, more so than probably any other movie that has child violence in it. Yeah. You know, Cause most of the time I think that's unnecessary. Um, but in this case, I feel like it was necessary. So yeah, I just, I loved it. I adored it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Concurred. So what are you going to recommend this week? I'm going to go, uh, mistake with the witch theme, Ooh. but I'm going to go way back. And uh, I recommend The Wizard of Oz, 1939. Uh, I just remember loving this movie as a kid and then as an adult watching it and just thinking how how beautiful, how beautiful it is, you know, and, you, and if you'd never seen it before, you know, the, the transition to color was just so like vivid, especially in the 30s, you know, that had to be like such an amazing experience to see in a theater um, happen and, um, and yeah, there's, so, you know, we're in, we're almost a hundred years, we're 80 years later. So there are some things about it that are a little bit kooky, but I just thought it was such a beautiful story for on so many levels and uh really amazing, amazing film, especially for the time. So Dude. Wizard of Oz. Nicely done. I'm going to recommend uh, a little film called Green Room. It's just, if you need a, a scary movie that's not subtle, uh, but still kind of traps you into a small space. Uh, this is a great, great movie. Like you will cringe um, at least four or five times um, and also just go through a wild ride of emotions. Yeah. So go check that out. Green Room. Awesome. Stay tuned next week. We are going to be diving into, hopefully, if nothing else in the world breaks again, uh, we will finally get to, to take a look at Dune and see what that's all about only been what a year and a half of of waiting my god this better be 
meticulous. They had so much extra time to work on this. Yes. I hope they took advantage. Anyway, stay tuned for that next week. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review, uh, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to cover, uh, the kind of things you find interesting, um, let us know. If you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash the witch with a W. And uh, the quote of the day is from Arthur Miller. Betrayal is the only truth that sticks. What was he talking about with that? To be honest, I don't know. But I was I pulled him out because he wrote, he's a, a famous playwright. He wrote a lot of films, Death of a Salesman. Uh, maybe his most famous, his second most famous is probably The Crucible. Um, and The Crucible is uh, all about the Salem witch trials, right? And what I loved about and what everyone you know loves about the crucible is the way that they were able to use, he was able to use something from a long time ago as an analogy and as a parallel for what was happening in contemporary times um, because the crucible right the salem witch trials is all, all about accusing someone of being a witch and you take them to task and you basically try to get them killed and the same thing a similar thing was happening i mean this is why we call these a witch hunt is during his time, and I want to say like the, the 50s and 60s, uh, there, there was the Red Scare, right? Communism was infiltrating America, um, and therefore communists need to be rooted out. And so you had McCarthyism uh, that was taking place where he would pull people into these public trials before Congress and accuse them and whatever. There was a lot of blackballing that was happening in, in Hollywood. Hollywood participated in this. Um, and there's a great movie called Trumbo that uh, dives into this about how their beliefs got them blackballed from working, from like participating in their careers. Uh, and even people who didn't care, you know, still found them unacceptable to work with because politically it was not feasible to be associated with these people anymore. Um, and so Trumbo, of course, uh, started writing under uh, pseudonyms and, you know, ghostwriting for people. And that's such a good movie. If you like Brian Cranston, really go watch Trumbo. It's not as boring as it probably sounds. Uh, I was hesitant because that does not sound politically. It sounds like a movie I would like, but the time period, it just sounded boring to me. Uh, but I watched it for Brian Cranston and I stayed for Brian Cranston. My God. He's amazing. <laughs> He's amazing. But yeah. And so. I just loved, so I started looking up quotes from Arthur Miller because of, you know, him writing The Crucible and uh, the way that you can use the witch to look at a variety of things, whether it's the the patriarchy, um, uh, body horror, right? There's elements of body horror in this uh, with accusing her and uh, finding her unacceptable because that, you know, she's coming into her own and she's uh, growing into a woman. And because of that, because she's now a woman, what she's automatically uh, tempting a temptress for her brother. Um, I mean, it's just all kinds of layers and elements that you can tease out of this. Um, and so I just started looking up quotes from him and uh, the idea that he puts forth like betrayal is the only truth that sticks. Uh, and obviously this film is filled with people betraying each other. And ultimately that's what they feel. And that's what they, uh, they remember even whenever it's not real. And I, and that was one of the things that I really pulled out of this film, which is in modern society. And this film would have been ahead of its time. An accusation is guilt. Yes. 
it doesn't matter if you're guilty. In today's environment, accusation itself is guilt. Um, and so hopefully, you know, we're all a little slow to judge in, in today's times. Um, I would hope for, you know, anybody that I know that got accused of something, you're probably going to get the benefit of the doubt from me. Um, and I, I feel like society could could use a little bit more of that uh, than, than not. I don't know. That didn't really tie together. Yeah, no, well. <laughs> you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. And I, I think that we're set. And I think, you know, part of what you're talking about is the, the Me Too movement in a way, not not just that specifically, but let's just use that as an example, sure. um, you know, where um, if someone gets accused of, uh, you know, do something physical, uh, you know, with a woman, you're uh, in, you know, no matter what, you're going to take the woman's side. And that's just that's just that's just it. I think that a lot of that, whether that's true or not, has to do with the way that society changes society in a lot of ways overcorrects things right it's kind of yeah. like a seesaw mm. you know in order to find a balance you know you, if you're if you're like this and one side is all the way down one side is all the way up you you got to go the other way too far yeah. and then you go the you know it you find, find an balance. equilibrium of, yeah. eventually so you know, i feel like in that regard for a while it's going to be this way mm. where you're it's just you're, you're accused then you are guilty of it. But eventually I feel like it's the balance is going to be found, you know? I agree. And yeah. Anyway, that, that's all I'll say about that. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, those are necessary movements and necessary uh -huh. conversations um, to be having, whether it's me too, or racism, police brutality. Um, there's just so mm -hmm. many things that because we've lived on the wrong side of the spectrum for so long, we probably do need to, to test the boundaries and push further um, before we come back and find out, okay, this is this is the healthy medium. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Absolutely. This has been great. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us uh, for this episode of The Witch. Hopefully that you enjoyed it. And make sure to join us next week where we're covering Dune. That one's going to be super fun. And uh, please subscribe and review us uh, on iTunes and share us with your friends. It all It all matters and it all helps us. Uh, continue this uh, we continue anyway but it it makes us under like feel like actually we're, we're making a dent in something yeah. doing something that matters uh, and we love doing it as well yes. uh, so until next time I'm Todd I'm Wes go watch some movies Thanks.